Last year, Viacom acquired Awesomeness, a youth-focused media company that is behind the Netflix success to all the boys I've ever loved. I highly recommend this program. I'm Brian Marcy, and this is the Digiday Podcast. On this week's episode, I speak to Rebecca Glashow, the co-head at Awesomeness. Rebecca and I speak about why the studio model works, why Go90 failed, and what the opportunity is for Quibi. Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So Awesomeness is interesting because it's been through a lot of different iterations, um, and it started as really as an MCN back in a different era. Mm, not really. It started as a YouTube channel. It always created its own IP. I think that is what's differentiated it from a, from an MCN. It did absolutely grow into an MCN of sorts at time at the time as well. But the original concept from Brian Robbins was, let me create content for this audience on the platform that they're on. Because at the time, really all the other linear networks were aging up. He had been a big producer of young adult content. And YouTube is where all this audience was. And he thought, well, everyone's putting up user-generated videos. Everyone's putting up videos of their children. Or There was really no IP development on the platform at the time. And he said, what if I was to create a brand and series for this audience, but put it where they are? And so that was sort of the origination of the concept is, let me reach this audience where they are and start to nurture that two-way relationship of digital platforms. And we've evolved that over the years. So the MCM came later around talent development and really nurturing other young creators on the platform that might ultimately be content creators for awesomeness. But I think the idea at the beginning and what has really paid off for us over the last seven years is that it was about creating our own content that we own. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so. So the MCN was a little bit of a detour. It was an added, um, okay. I would say it was an add-on, right? I mean, all of these digital platforms at the time were trying to build a business out of it. And I think an MCN was a, one of the routes that the company went to develop revenue streams. But it was certainly not the origin of the idea and not where we really found success. Right. And then there was the DreamWorks deal. Yes. Okay. So DreamWorks, right, bought the company. Yes. Um and I think that was recognition, again, of what Brian and the original founders had created, which was reaching an underserved audience through YouTube. So the idea at the time, which you know now is, is way more commonplace, is these are platforms that aggregate a lot of eyeballs. And there is, at the time, that traditional media brands weren't putting any content up there, Viacom included. And there was really no... I'm old enough to remember Viacom suing... YouTube. I, 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 sadly, so am I. Um, <laughs> they've climbed back out of that hole. But really, I think they they sued him. Many other platforms also didn't understand how to harness the audience there. They were putting up promotional content to try to drive people back to linear TV. Right. They were putting up trailers. They weren't really building IP for that platform, getting to know the audience that came to that platform and serve them with, with stories that they expected to get on YouTube versus what they expected to get right. on linear TV or recognizing how they expect to engage with the talent or expect to have a two-way conversation with you. And, um, and that's just not what the traditional media companies were doing. So we sort of said, this is where the young audience is. They're very underserved in traditional premium platforms and at the time on the streaming platforms, which also didn't exist to the level they do now. And let's build a relationship with this audience. Let's understand what they're passionate about. Let's identify talent and help 
really develop talent on these platforms that we can nurture and start to put into our different um, content formats. And in the case of Noah Centineo, maybe make a huge star. But you know, we really feel that by spending and investing the time seven years ago on getting to know this audience and how they consume differently, that's put us in a very advantaged place today mm-hmm. as we build our studio. And that's after the Go90 experience, which is a little scalding. Yes. Listen, I, you know, I have the pleasure of saying Go90 was a tremendous gift to this company. I don't know that everyone would have seen it that way. Um, but <laughs> depends I, on where you were on the running cap table, it, running the, the business now. Listen, it was critical growth component for Awesomeness, and I think, you know, at the time. What they did. Basically, Verizon paid you a lot. Of, well, they invested. They paid in a you, lot of money. Paid a lot of money. Um, they made an investment in the business. They went big. Um, but what it did. But then they went home. That they, was. The they problem. went big and then home, and we were able to really leverage all of the infrastructure we built, the investment in content creation, and um, and IP development to build the studio we have now. So, okay. for example, you know, Go ninety big deal, a lot of money, create a lot of content for this new platform. What it allowed us to do was invest in the studio, bring in development executives, start to create even more content in longer formats. So at the time, we were just creating YouTube mm-hmm. content, so shorter formats, primi- primarily unscripted uh, lifestyle programming. It allows us to start pushing into scripted. So one of our first series on the platform is a show called Guidance, um, leveraged both some influencer talent and then more traditional talent allowed us to start to play with how we cast these series. Um, and it really resonated. It also helped us to build a library of content that we went on to sell the Hulu mm-hmm. and start building distribution so around the world. you owned the IP for that. That we was not Verizon owning. We owned the IP and we controlled the rights outside the U.S. And we were able to really understand how we took all of our learnings from creating unscripted and and YouTube formats to start delivering to this audience longer, more traditional TV and film formats. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it didn't really matter in the end that it never scaled because to us, it allowed us to really hone our expertise and build the studio we have now, which creates, you know, larger TV and film and higher budget projects for the likes yeah. of Netflix. So let's get to that. But, but Go90 yeah. had a lot of good content. Why do you yeah. think Go90 didn't work? I think there's a lot of speculation on why Go90 didn't work. You'd think that um, if it was marketed and made available across all of their phones and supported across the company holistically, it would have had more of a chance. You know, it really seemed to be, even inside the walls of Verizon, a investment by one silo of that company and not something horizontally across the company that was supported. And I think... That's how you know you have a big company if you spend a billion dollars on something and it's not like and it's not, a, a core it's, <laughs> Well, I mean, truly. I mean, I and I think... They had, a, they had a challenging platform. Um, they didn't, there was a lot of reasons. Um, and I think then, of course, all of the change in uh, yeah. executives didn't help And the strategy matter. and stuff like that. It, it definitely. So, but it, you don't think it, it means that you can't build a new one of these platforms? Because, I mean, there is a lot of established big platforms, um, but that it's possible. I think it's possible. 
I mean, many people think it's quote Jeffrey right. Katzenberg that's thinks what it's I mean. possible. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, uh, you know, does the, he think it's that's, possible? That's the 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 the, the quibby. Um, yeah. There is a space in the market for something go ninety like. Well, I don't know that Go90 had as clear an identity as what Quibi is trying to build. You know, they've really put their foot or put their foot, put the stake in the ground on short form, a certain kind of format. Yeah. They've put a stake in the ground on the level of talent and, and IP development they want to create. Um, I think in the end, they're going to have to find stories that really resonate and connect I don't think, I don't know that their platform is differentiated if their ideas and content creation really doesn't cut through in the end. Okay. Now, let's fast forward. Uh, Awesomeness is now part of Viacom. Yes. Okay. Explain it, how that has changed or if it has changed at all the, um, the strategy. Well, I think what it's done, first and foremost, is given us a home where they're investing in our vision and how we want to build the content. Um, we were previously at multiple owners, um, and it was not simple to have a clear vision execute when you have multiple owners who really didn't align around the vision, or in some cases, didn't really even um, buy into what we were doing. I mean, NBC bought DreamWorks. They didn't by Awesomeness. Yeah. In this case, Viacom very intentionally bought Awesomeness, yeah, and like of course Comcast you have and Verizon involved. So it's... Right. So you've you've <laughs> shed you've shed direct competitors yeah. and found one media brand that is spent thirty years investing in content for young adults. You have the head of their digital platforms was somebody who came from Awesomeness to be Kelly Day, and you have the founder running Nickelodeon. So you've got DNA within the building that has been recognized as leaders inside that organization and a company that is truly committed to righting their wrongs of the past and invest, investing in digital first content and recognizing that they need to be able to reach this youth audience yeah. and in a, a way they have And it's a studio model. And it is a pure studio model. Well, but explain we, what that means for the audience. Sure, Because we're usually talking with, with publishers and it's, stuff. So. Absolutely. So it's, it's, it's still both. And I'd say this is what differentiates us. As we've built the business, and what, certainly our success over the last 12 months, has been in film and television. So To All the Boys I Loved Before is an awesomest film that we developed and sold to Netflix and, of course, launched Noah Centineo into stardom, but also became really the film for the young adult audience and i would say you know m you know way more broadly than that as well um and then i can get into some of the other series that we've seen success in but that studio success um was off the back of go 90 he was off the back of lots of development mm -hmm. and selling into hulu and really recognizing there's no one who is trying to tell stories for this audience in the marketplace um, to the extent that we are. And inside Viacom, they want to invest in IP. They want to build their own studio, which you see, of course, with MTV announcing a deal with Facebook. They want to show that the IP they're developing inside those walls both resonates on linear TV brand, brands, but resonates on the digital platforms and can reach a global audience. And that's what we do. Mm -hmm. So we are basically enhancing a strategy that Bob has identified for the company. On top of that, 
We create original short form content still under the awesomest TV brand on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat. And that to us is our, that's how we connect with the audience on a daily basis and have a dialogue with them and, and continue to know. that's not necessarily how you make most That is money. not a business for us. That okay. is, that is a, it is a business in the, to the extent that ad sales can leverage the reach we have in the branded entertainment business, which I can get You're back to. You're an IP business mostly. But we are developing original IP. Everything we do on YouTube um, and across social is all original. We do 15 shows a week, in some cases featuring influencers, in some cases formats. Um, and we integrate brands into that. We've done a bunch of deals inside Viacom, and I say that as one of the many ways that we've thrived inside those walls is the relationships they have with advertisers are obviously at the highest level. So we can take our capabilities, which is creating original stories um, for our audience, putting it across our platform. We can now do that with the largest of advertisers in a way that as an independent, you know, it was, it was obviously way more mm-hmm. of a slog. Secondly, in, in our success, you'd think we have access to great IP in those walls, right? We've proven that we can create film and television that really connects with this audience. And um, Pen15 is a series we, we did for Hulu, which they've just announced that they renewed, that again exploded for us, original content creators um, we developed with them. And so for us inside the walls of Viacom, I think we have the support and the common vision of what we want to build Awesomeness into and how they want to build Viacom for the future. So there's just tremendous amount of alignment. So you're focused on young adult. That's what, like late teen? Uh, we say 12 to 24. Our sweet spot is certainly 16 to 18. Okay, so what is the type of content that resonates with 12 to 24-year-olds now? And is it different at all from, from when Awesomeness started or from a generation ago? You know, I'd say it's a really challenging time to be a teenager. Um, there's a lot, they're a tremendously different um, population than we pro- we were, and certainly even the millennials. Their access to information um, is like no one has ever had before. The amount of stress they've been under with school shootings and the environment that they've been raised in and the fear. Um, I mean, they've all grown up sort of post 9-11. And so I'd say it's a a tremendously different generation who's also very active, um, very connected globally, very more diverse than ever. And so what's key in creating stories for them is they have to feel authentic. They call bullshit very quickly Mm -hmm. um, and very openly. And I think for us, you know, having invested many years in, in, in connecting with this audience is we try to always have a voice that is not talking down to them, that shows stories that they care about with diverse characters, serious themes. But I would also say they want some lightness. So I think there's a reason to all the boys really work for us. We also have this other show, Zach and Mia, that's on Hulu. That's a love story. I, I think they also want to have the antidote mm-hmm. to all this sadness and, and see a little romance. So I think for us recently, comedy and love stories have really connected with them. And I, that and doesn't I think, sound that much different, does it? 
Probably not. I mean, but listen, I, mean I guess, the, does oh. the format have to change? I mean, because there was a lot of, like, talk. Early, I remember everything had to be, like, interactive for a little while, like, in the early 2000s. It yeah. was like, no, you know, people don't want to, like, lean back and stuff like this. But it seems like good storytelling is good storytelling. Uh, I promise not to sure. have any Game of Thrones spoilers. But, like, it's a good story. <laughs> it's good storytelling. I people would say watch 100%. In many ways, we are a traditional creative shop that is you know, working with writers and producers to develop IP that we think will connect. I think... Is in, it mostly, quote-unquote, long-form? I hate that word. It's mostly traditional 22-minute or yeah. formats, yes. But I think that's more, you know, or a funny thing is it's not 22, it's like 28, because on streaming platforms, which we primarily produce for, you don't have to... You don't obviously don't have the ad clock. But I'd say... You know, we do actually what's differentiated. We do dramas at 30 minutes. So we don't actually do any 60-minute uh, shows. And what you end up having in 30-minute dramas is no filler, no emptiness, right? You have 30 minutes of actual storytelling where things are moving forward. So I'd say a couple things are different. We are primarily creating content for this audience on streaming platforms. So... You know, we live in a binge universe where you have to constantly think about sort of the um, the impetus to go to the next show. So in that sense, it's different. We are working with different talent. I mean, this audience creates its own stars. They don't. They're not being dictated who's popular. Who they're they're sort of in many ways telling us. So casting and working with talent that we know will resonate because. In some cases, they've developed that talent themselves, or they've told us so. It, and working, do you find them on YouTube a lot, or no? Sometimes, not always. I mean, I'd say the talent of today, and this is across many in- industries, is in some cases they come up as traditional actors and they become influencers. I mean, go back to Noah Centineo. I mean, he had a following. He was always an actor. He was never a YouTube influencer. But in his great success, he becomes an Instagram star because his audience has an expectation of connecting with him. Now he has 17 million followers. But they don't start there. But in this way, this audience, this talent has to have a social following. They have to connect with their fans. There's an expectation of that, of that wall coming down. So it's it's different. And so mm-hmm. I would say in many cases, you know, we're working our new series that launches in June. Um, it's called Trinkets for Netflix is cast in some cases with unknowns and, and trad- traditional actresses. And we'll work with them to build their social following. Um, we'll work with them to to connect on their social platforms with this audience in a way that it's organic to them and who they are and how they connect with their followers. And so it feels natural for them to talk about their projects and not like they're hawking something because somebody told them or paid them to. And I think that's also part of our unique relationship with talent is, you know, we know how to connect with the audience, tell stories, promote our shows and series in a way that feels authentic for them because we respect that they have built these very direct relationships and don't want them to seem false because mm-hmm. they're suddenly actors promoting series. So what are you seeing on the distribution landscape? Because there's a lot of different options out there. I mean, Go90 is not an option anymore, but no. there are a lot of different people who are licensing IP and want um, original content. Mm-hmm. Um, how is that changing well, for us, I'm going to go back to sort of where Awesomeness sits in the ecosystem is, as you said, we've really built a business, I'd say, an understanding a certain demographic that I would say 
streaming platforms, certainly linear networks, and most of the entertainment ecosystem has no idea how to reach. I and mean, they just they they don't get this audience. They think they're on social platforms. They don't watch TV. Of course, they may be watching Game of Thrones because everyone in the world is. But beyond that, they don't really know how to reach them. I think where we've found success is initially on Netflix and Hulu. This is like the Netflix Hulu. Yeah. Okay. Well, so but even. I think certainly Netflix has now had a lot of success with young adult IP, some of our series and films and certainly others, you know, like Riverdale and 13 Reasons Why. Um, But they've identified that this audience watches a ton of content. Yes, friends, but also we need to deliver a pipeline to them. For other platforms that are still, you know, at a younger stage like Hulu or even Amazon, I would say... They have not invested heavily in young adult because they are still sort of growing with large commercial IP or they're still pursuing awards and going after young adult is niche to them. Yeah. What I think we've proven out with something like To All the Boys or even Pen15 is that in success, it's not niche, right? You're not, you're bringing in that audience over and over and over again, and you're probably bringing in their parents and, and other family members. And so I think what our proposition has been, and we've seen success now with Hulu, and I think you'll see it with other platforms that we are soon to be in business with, is that... We not just say, oh, here's a great IP. Light as a Feather is our series on Hulu that was renewed for 16 episodes. It's this great little thriller horror series, fast-paced, like I said, 30-minute, scary content, beautiful people, lots of drama. And we put it up there, phenomenally successful. And what we said to them is, you cannot wait a year to get this content back on the platform. This mm-hmm. audience will move on. This talent moves on. You need to keep serving them. So they renewed for 16 episodes so we could get back up in the summertime, start to shorten these windows, um, and also allow us to create the drumbeat. So in the case of Light as a Feather, we not just delivered them the show, but we created hundreds of original assets across YouTube, across Snapchat, Instagram, everything both video content, graphics, games, integrating the talent into shows and formats that we had, a completely different digital marketing campaign that was almost exclusively focused on social and YouTube and content creation to activate this audience around that show to help drive them to YouTube because, I'm sorry, to Hulu, because typically they throw up an ad, they throw up a billboard, and for us fogies, that's maybe going to get people aware. In this case, you have to create social relevance. You have to get people talking about it. And what I would say is, these other platforms have seen the social relevance that Netflix has created for themselves, and they see us in a lot of the shows Mm -hmm. that we've created, the ability to create the social relevance with the right talent, with the right stories, and our activation around these shows. And so for us, to me, we're a solution for a lot of these platforms who don't know yeah. how to reach this audience. But I mean, Netflix has the biggest checkbook still. Sure. Do people still have checkbooks? Yes. I don't know. Um, <laughs> maybe not in your audience. They don't have checkbooks. Um, what about Facebook? What about Instagram? What about Snapchat? Yeah. Do you see Do you see them becoming like major players in this field? Because it seems like even like uh, someone like Facebook, I mean, they're dabbling still. I really... For I their scale. think you need... To commit, I mean, I go back to the beginning with even Amazon investing in video 10 years ago and buying up libraries, and they were a couple years behind Netflix, and 
they're like the the tortoise. It's years until they can crack through and get primed to be a platform anyone watches anything. And then to shift to originals, yeah. it's a Netflix has been doing this for a very long time. This is not overnight well, it's success. Their business. And it's all they think about. It's all they do. Like with Amazon is like, is it very clear what exactly they want this to, what job it is doing? Like, I mean, you go to Whole Foods and I see, oh, you get like, you know, 10% off if you're a Prime member. Like, it right. all just seems around It still seems sure like a free people, toaster. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it will always be in a way a free toaster. <laughs> um, I think it's building content builds a relationship with the audience that a toaster does not. Um, <laughs> and so in its success, it is just the affinity and 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 ultimately Amazon delivering every solution to the consumer in the household. So I think video will always be core to their strategy, but their strategy is mm-hmm. obviously far more robust. I think in the case of Hulu, obviously, they, you know, we'll see what happens with Disney. They're very invested in video, how that evolves and how that product becomes differentiated vis-a-vis Disney Plus remains to be seen. Obviously, I mean, that would seem like a big opportunity for you, Disney Plus. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, certainly they are going to invest in their own IP that they own and um, and create. It's certainly an opportunity mm-hmm. as far as the demographic. Um, and I think, you know, in their success, I as all platforms, yeah. all platforms will be buying for us in, in our success, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, are you surprised Instagram hasn't gone, gone harder into this? I mean... I would say I mean, they're doing okay. As they're it is, doing but. okay. I mean, we we've <laughs> found some success on IGTV. I think, but not to make money, right? No one makes money there. I mean, that's the that's the, so the answer is Facebook. You know, we are going to do a show with Facebook um, that's unscripted. I think that's exciting, but it's not truly where this young adult audience is anymore. And you know, it's it's really not a young Facebook's platform. dead for teenagers. Uh, I'm not going to say that, but it's not, it's certainly not their first platform. I mean, it's where their parents are, it's where their grandparents are. It's just, it's not (laughs) relevant to them to this extent. Certainly Instagram is, which is where we put a lot more attention Um, and snap. But I would say, are are you making like any series for snap? We are talking about a bunch of projects. There's certainly a huge overlap. I mean, they are primarily young teens. And so we've done some non-exclusive content that we've created and it's been very successful. You know, they're complicated to work with. Um, You know, I think what's interesting about Quibi is they are very studio creator friendly right now because they're 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 so what does that mean complicated to work with is that because they're a tech company and a lot of tech companies are trying to figure their their way out in this world i think they provide a lot of scale um and certainly feel um in their different iterations that that's their contribution (laughs) um and we built it go we all know that you know content is expensive (laughs) just pay us rent there has to exactly i mean there has to be a real commitment um to investing in original content and and that's why right now obviously so many people are flocking to quibi is there is a true investment in the content. So explain for those who are not that familiar (laughs) with Quibi, like why this is, I mean, obviously Jeffrey Katzenberg has a little bit of a track record. um, Mm -hmm. So uh, that helps. Um, There's a fair bit of money um, Mm -hmm. that is devoted to it. But explain the idea behind it and what the sort of market opportunity that that Quibi has. I don't know. I'm the best person to answer that question i would say you know i'd say the conceit really is that you know 
most of the other platforms are um, still functioning in the traditional TV formats, right? And Mm -hmm. in a world where most of the audiences, especially the young audiences, are consuming on mobile, why are we marrying ourselves to... 30 minutes, 60 minutes, two hours when people want to consume content or are consuming content, certainly on YouTube and other platforms in shorter formats. So can't we reinvent the storytelling platforms and create something that really is mobile first, right? All of these other platforms still very much are about the living room and servicing you in the living room, although their mobile consumptions have grown tremendously. That's not the intent. So I think in their case, they're saying there's so much mobile consumption. What if we really focus on where these people are going first to consume? Mm. And and let's take the best and the brightest and the most talented because we really need to, and this goes back to crack it open, right? We need to build IP that's really significant there that's going to bring them and reinvent the storytelling format. Yeah. That's my sense of the ambition, which I'm not is- I'm going to tell Jeffrey Katzenberg what to do, but that seems kind of weird to me. Um, I mean, just to, to hang your hat on a format seems kind of strange because storytelling is storytelling. I, I just think about like news and like lots of people try to reinvent news around the format and it, and it never worked because like news is news. Like, you know, I mean, sometimes it could be yeah. longer, sometimes it be shorter, sometimes it should be video, sometimes it should be graphics. Yeah, I, I think I don't know that people watch there really was a long... screaming need. Did the marketplace demand it? Um, I think. It will it exists to me in some capacity as they yeah. evolve their thinking, you know, as a content creator and you don't a studio, think format first, do you? We never think format first. Right. We think story first. And I think and back to let's bring Go Ninety back into the conversation. I think one of the interesting learnings is our, we did this show guidance. We released it as five minute episodes, and um, really, and they had it weekly because they were trying to bring people back in. And the response was really, you know, people wanted more. And so Tagged, which are our next series for that platform um, that we ultimately licensed as 22-minute episodes to Hulu, we released as 15, 16 minutes. And what we quickly learned is do not limit um, the content to suit the platform, right? Mm-hmm. It still is what does the story require and what is the best way for that to unfold? So that's certainly how we still think about it and that's why we continue to work in the 30-minute format um but listen for us the more people that want to invest in the ecosystem sure is great for our business (laughs) so i can only i only wish them the greatest of success absolutely (laughs) um final thing is how about tiktok Mm -hmm. Is, is there something interesting there do you think from a content creation standpoint i mean right now obviously it is it's a lot of teens creating their own content yeah, I mean, go back to scale. So, I mean, what, what Quibi doesn't have and certainly Snap and others, it's it's relevant to our audience. I think what I find formidable about what we do, even within the walls of a traditional media company, is we're just making stuff and putting it up there. And at this point, the barrier to entry is low. So we are experimenting. Um, I f- we're still a little bit confused by the platform, but... I don't think I think uh, we're going to invest in it and, and try to figure it out. And that's what makes this space still very fun, which is, I don't know, we're going to create <laughs> yeah, content exactly. and see what happens. But it certainly seems relevant to our audience. So we're paying attention. OK, Rebecca, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. 
Our producer is Aditi Sangal. This week, I wanted to give a special shout out to Vukashin Stoikov. I met Vukashin on my recent trip to Belgrade, and he tweeted afterwards, had the great pleasure to meet at BMRC in person yesterday. Have learned a ton about digital media by following him and the whole Digiday team's output. Try them out by subscribing to the podcast. It's phenomenal. Thank you, Vukashin. And I'm very glad you enjoy our podcast. Um, please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get this podcast. And thank you again to everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode.